1: Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman.
0: Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of
2: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. I'm so excited about today. When I hear that title, Messages of Hope, I just I get goosebumps because today, if my special guest doesn't fill you with hope, then something's wrong. I just spent the last hour or so going over the, the notes that I took from her wonderful new book, Love is Always the Lesson, and... Boy, are there a lot of lessons in that book. I'm going to introduce Sherry Smith in just a few minutes, but I have an announcement to make. I'm so excited that uh, I am going to get to lead a retreat at Unity Village. This this being Unity Online Radio, I thought it was appropriate to share with all of you that for the fourth time, I'm going to gather a bunch of kindred spirits, whoever wants to join me on the beautiful campus of Unity Village in Lee's Summit, Missouri. It is a sacred place. I just love it there. In fact, after my my last three-day retreat there. I asked Ty, can we go back and just walk around the grounds some more because we just experienced so much love with everyone. Uh, this retreat is going to be actually three nights, three 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 and a half days in April of next year, 11 to 14 April, and we're calling it Holy you. It's a little play on words like the word whole and holy. And it's all about coming to rediscover our wholeness, both the human sides of us and the spirit side, and celebrating how sacred and magnificent we all are. So if you want details on that, please go to my website, susangeisman.com. Up on the top of the menu is uh, just the word new, as in what's new on the website. And if you go to that page, that's the easiest way to get details on the retreat at Unity Village. Also, before we get going, I want to tell you that we've made a decision with the, the show that the first Thursday of Every month, the episode will be called Ask Suzanne and Sanaya. Sanaya being my team of guides who I channel and connect with every morning for a message. So this is your chance as listeners to call in the first Thursday of every month and ask any question you want to know about the afterlife, the spirit world, metaphysics. I'm going to try to stay away from personal questions because I don't want to lose interest from listeners if if they're not interested, if somebody's going to make a fortune or not. <laughs> so if you have the higher level questions, be thinking of them and join us next week, the first Thursday of the month. Or if you're listening to this in the archives, any first Thursday of the month, ask Suzanne and Sanaya. So enough of that. Got to get on with today's show. My guest is Sherry Smith. She is a She's worked as a registered nurse and nurse practitioner in the field of women's health, and that career helped her to learn how to support and counsel her patients. She became interested in energy medicine, and then her life took a dramatic turn with the sudden death of her first husband. Due to her interest in metaphysical side of life, the experiences surrounding death and dying, dreams, telepathy, and the field of parapsychology They helped her to find a new way of life that she never dreamed possible. She was given the gift of knowing, just like I do and many of you listening, that life is eternal, that love is forever. So I could go on and on with her bio, but I think it's more important to just let Sherry come in and share with us. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Well, I think it's just so exciting because your book is hot off the press. The book, again, Love is Always the Lesson. You can find that on Amazon, folks, if you want to find it after the show or pull it up now while we're talking. But uh, she's a first-time author. The book has only been out a couple weeks. And Sherry, you reached out to me by email, and i I felt that nudge from spirit to pull up your book. And as soon as I started reading it, I said, Ooh, radio show guest, (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) I'm going to do, I'm doing most of the talking now, but I'm going to turn it over to you in just a second, Sherry. But you know, what's, what's beautiful is Sherry, you you know, everybody has a story and, and you don't have an earth shaking story, moving mountains type story. You have a life of stories that illustrate the unseen forces in our lives. And, and that's what I love. You're just, you're, you're tuned in to the connection with the other side. Mm-hmm. So you ready to start telling us about how that all started for you?
3: Sure. Um, I, I realized in my early adulthood as I was um, taking care of patients in the hospital and and then became um, focused on women's health care but especially in my early days in the hospital, I would get that occasional patient who was at death's door, and I started to become very clear to me that I was very uncomfortable with, um, with the fact that I didn't have a clear sense of what happens. Where do we go? What happens? What, do, what should we be thinking about with this? How can we talk to people that are? That are getting ready to cross over because it seemed like in my experience, mostly people avoided it. They avoided the patients. They avoided any conversation about it. So I started listening to those kinds of uh, messages as I was exposed to death and dying. And I feel it was the opposite of that. I was still and bringing new life in. So. I paying attention to my dreams and, and around that time, a, a good friend of mine, synchronicity being the way it is, said, hey, they're going to have a, there's a professor teaching a dream class at, at the local community college, would you like to take it with me? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And so we took this class and it basically changed my life because we uh, started recording our dreams. He taught us about all the things that could happen in the dream state, communication with the living, communication with the dead, um, insights, premonitions. Of course, there's just nonsense dreams as well, but what we learned was that when we start paying attention to our dreams, which, and you can ask questions of your dreams and get answers, and that when you start paying attention, your dream life will change. It will take on a more meaningful um ex- be a more meaningful experience and and basically i don't know that he used these words spirit can come in and start working with you at that level because when you're in the dream state you have access to all this information so i started journaling my dreams and asking questions and we experimented with dreaming for each other and there were a lot of things that happened in that class but from that day forward i felt a I felt a connection to my higher self. I felt something greater at work in my life. And so that was my first experience with paying attention, with starting to pay attention, starting to write things down. And I think that that helped train my my mind for the experiences that were that were going to happen to me in the future. It was just the beginning and that nudge of, you know, pay attention to this. So in the next step, I started paying attention to death and dying. How did I feel about it? What was that about for me? And I started reading books by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and um, books from uh, Raymond Moody and people that had, you know, were also interested in this field of life after death and any proof of it and, and helping with grief and all of those subjects that came forward. It's- It's like
2: you were being prepared. I I listen to you now knowing how your your story unfolded, and this just feels like such a setup from spirit.
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So at this point, I'm just in my early, I'm in my, you know, I'll say I'm in my mid-20s. And, um, but I started, so I started getting more comfortable with this and more fascinating with the mystical, anything mystical. And so then to fast forward, when my husband, um, died unexpectedly, and the whole story is in, in the in the book, but he had a heart attack when we were camping, and there was very little warning, but he had some warning signs. He was having some premonitions, and he was a total skeptic about anything. You know, I had a hard time having any conversations with him about um, life after death or anything spiritually. He would just sort of brush it off and say, well, it's a nice, it's a nice idea. But I'm just too busy living here and now to be to be bothered with it. I just, you know, have no reason to believe in that. Well, along the way, again, think, go ahead. Did you want to say
2: something? Well, I just wanted to interrupt you because he you were a nurse. He was a doctor. And right. I just, when I read your description of how you felt the very first time you saw him, I thought the way I felt when i saw my husband tie for the first time there's this mm. this unusual sense of knowing it's like nobody else you've ever met and i reading your description i recognize that and there did you would you call
3: it destiny a feeling of destiny yeah.
2: when you met him
3: that's the word that was coming to me as you were saying that it was a definite sense of destiny and a pull like a pull that that there was just no walking away from i was it yeah. was I had to follow it through, no matter what the cost. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and that, that it was that kind of a love story for us. And we were at a very happy point in our life. And anyway, he, he so he started getting, doing some unusual things, like he brought home a poem about death. Um, and he said, I, I hope this is how it is. It's the poem about do not... You Stand by my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. And and that was really strange. I got the, that goosebumpy feeling. Like, why is this person who's never wanted to talk about this suddenly, you know, suddenly um, turning this corner and being curious about it? And 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 so I said, you know, I had read a book about communication after death and i and i said look i'm going to i would you make a promise to me that if you die before me that if you can communicate to me that there's life after death that you'll do that and he said yeah i'll make that promise and i said it would really mean a lot to me and we had And that you promise. were
2: what? You were only 30 31 years old at the time, right?
3: I was yeah i was i was well at the time i was like 29 and and he was 16 years older so he was a little bit older so i thought well, chances are he'll all outlive him, so it didn't seem terribly unusual to be having these thoughts and conversations, but then, looking back, of course, very unusual um, and then so then, when he did die, um, I immediately had those that, that memory of these conversations that we'd had, and my mom came and and to, uh, from California, which was two states away, three days later, and before she went to bed that night, I said, you know, if I, I wonder if I'll get a sign. And she didn't know what I was talking about because I'd never had any conversations with anyone about the topic. So she said, oh, that's nice, honey, I mean, whatever. And she went to bed, and then the next morning when I got up, my mom was very, um, I'll say psychic, but intuitive, and she always had... in premonition dreams and things like that. So it, she, she kind of, she had the gift, but anyway, so she had a total experience with him coming to her and telling her, you know, that he was, he was there and that he would stay, stick around to help me as long as I needed him. And there was a whole message from him. Well, we, said, I,
2: I want to slow down a bit because this is the magical part. This is for me, the, <laughs> the meat of every right. interview with somebody who's had these mystical experiences. Um, uh, I, I have the right in front of me. He said, this is right out of your book, Love is Always the Lesson. He said, don't be afraid. It's James. She had to have a sign. I don't know why she had to have a sign, but she had to have a sign. Tell her that the sign is green, Janet. I'm out here on the court, on the sport court. Really, I'm everywhere. I'm even in the wind, referring to the line in the poem you two had talked about. So right. why? So right away, he's... Acknowledging the need for the sign, and why was green so important?
3: Well, we talked about green a lot in our life. Um, I used to, you know, tease him and tell him I loved him in his green scrub clothes, and and we had just put emerald green carpet in our family room, and our house was green, and we lived in the northwest, and everything was green. And green is the color of rebirth, and it's the color of the heart chakra, and there were just so many things that tied in with green, and And it was, you know, my favorite color. And so I thought that the sign is green, that the message in and of itself was my sign. So, but when my mother is having this experience with him, she sees like a hologram in front of her of four boxes. And she doesn't understand this, but she explains to me, I saw these four boxes and I don't understand what that meant. And I said, well, I I don't either at this point, but um, you know, we'll pay attention. And to back up a little bit, the first night when he died, the night he died, he came to me in a dream. And he, and he, and I said, you're not dead. And he said, no, and I, I'm not dead. And I, and he was just with me. And I knew he was with me, but nobody else could see him but me. And then every day after that, he came to me with a message about his services. And, um, so this, started before my mother even arrived, before this profound experience that she had. And so the most profound message that he gave me was, I said, what do you want? If, you, if you're here and you can hear me and you know where your veterans' discharge papers are from the, from the Air Force, I'm going to need those to get any, any uh, benefits. And I went to sleep not thinking too much of it the next morning i wake up with the word x-rays in my mind x-rays what does that mean x-rays and so i went through the day with this word just kept coming to me x-rays and it and a i remembered seeing an x-ray folder you know the old x-ray, yeah,
0: old those x-ray big,
3: folders that yep. you had to carry around the big yellow folders yep. i remembered seeing one in the back of a closet and so I went to the closet, and I pulled it out, and his discharge papers were at the bottom.
2: <laughs>
3: I love now,
2: I, that story. I, I, love, I love it. That. And for those of you listening, I mean, Sherry is the perfect example. She says to her mom, we'll pay attention. We'll look for the signs. She knew to do that. And you also trusted when he came to you in a dream that it wasn't crazy. It wasn't your imagine. It wasn't, quote, just a dream. So you're asking him to help you out, and you didn't get an answer right away, but it pops into your awareness as you woke up the next day. And
3: this is how it works. Exactly. And there, and I had something like that happen every day of the week he died. One day wow. it was, it was you know, uh, no organ music, call Randy. And I'm thinking, I don't even know who Randy is. And then I remember that one of the doctors in our clinic, his name is Randy. So I called him. And I said, I got this message. I don't know what it means. You know, do you know anything about music? And he said, yeah, I'm a classical guitarist. And he said, and, and I, and I study with Eric Kingstad, who was like a very well known classical guitarist in Seattle, and he said, I'll get him for, to do a service. I mean, so your husband
2: James comes through, pops into your mind and says, No organ music, and yeah, then gives you the name of the guy that plays guitar for the service. It's just it's fantastic. So he, it's he, it's what it I was. know. Is, like, this is how it works. So it was on the other side. How he works. had a clear conduit with you.
0: Fantastic.
3: Mm-hmm. So it was like he planned his service. And and so the third day after he died, back to my mom's message from him, tell her the sign is green. Well, the conversation I had had with him about the husband and wife who gave each other a sign, the sign that they gave was a, fly, a bush blooming uh, that he'd given her for an anniversary, and it never bloomed in the day. Second day or something after he died, she went outside and the bush was in full bloom. So it was that was the story. So it was about flowers. It was about you know nature, and so the third day after the the, well, no, it was like a couple days later. My mom and I are sitting in the in the kitchen. We're looking out at our big picture windows. There's four baskets, big, huge flower baskets, because this was he died on the fourth of July, (laughs) so it was summer these beautiful baskets, I had them planted every year at the, at the local floor, um, gardening place. And we're sitting there and one of them drops to the ground and crashes. And I thought, what is my sign? And then, and, and re- remembering the four boxes that she saw. Yeah. So, and then my logic kind of took over and I thought, nah, it just got too heavy for the hook, you know? And I, But I didn't do anything about it. And the the next day, it was just still the mess there, the broken box and everything. And I went outside to pick it up, and I looked up under the eaves, and the whole basket had been lifted. It had not pulled from weight out of the hook. It had been lifted off the hook because the hook was intact. Both hooks were intact. It had to be lifted off. So then I knew the four boxes were the four flower boxes, so that was the clue. So So if I could
2: interrupt here, I know that some people who are listening are new to communication from the other side and how, how those in spirit can affect physical things in our lives. And your story of the flower box falling off a perfectly good hook reminds me of when Ty and I went to see a medium after our daughter Susan died. And we were sitting there in a big flower pot and a big clay pot just fell off the table onto the ground, seemingly by mm-hmm. itself. And and I want to assure those who are listening that that our loved ones are not in some far off heaven. They're right there. We just can't see them like fan blades that are moving so quickly. They're there, but you can't see them. And so it takes quite a bit of effort on their part to move things
0: mm-hmm.
2: in this dimension, but When you have a really strong spirit, and clearly James is one of those, they can pull off these what to us appear to be miracles.
3: Right. And my first thought, and I told everybody we knew that I had an opportunity to, is I said, if you died a sudden death and you didn't get to say goodbye and you didn't get to finish your, your life, then you would want people to be listening if you could get a message to them. And so I said, if you get anything, please share it with me because I'm interested in this. And that's how I felt. It's like, I'm not going to fabricate things, but I'm going to stay open. I'm there just going to stay open to anything that comes to me. And I'm going to journal it, and I'm going to pay attention. And so that's what I did. And it lifted my grief tremendously, because I was so busy. <laughs> I was so excited to know he still existed, that he survived physical death that now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's more because oh, up yeah. until then, it was just a fan. It was just a curiosity. Now right. I know. So that just changed my life from then on. Um, so yeah. and there were, there were, you know, there were lots of things that happened and, and I wrote about them in the book, but
2: he, he um, messed
3: with your dad. <laughs> oh yeah. That was funny. That was funny. My dad came to stay a couple of weeks later and, and, um, he said he kept getting woke up like somebody was jerking his toe. And he said he'd sit right up in bed and, and then nothing was there and he'd go back to sleep. And this happened like two or three times or whatever. And he finally, just out of frustration, got up and went out into the kitchen. And we had this big oak um, wine rack that had wine glasses hanging upside down on on it. And he said the glasses started clanking and clanking and clanking. And he said, that's it. I'm out of here. You know, a lot
2: of us were, were raised in the in the era when Amityville horror movie was on oh, and people love to hear about ghosts and hauntings. And I'm here to tell you these are our loved ones that, that are trying to say, I'm here, don't you get it? This is not scary. I'm trying to show you, I'm still with you. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> but right. I do feel
3: That's for right. your dad. <laughs> yeah, well. He got used to the idea over the course of his lifetime because I, you know, was always telling him stories and sharing things with him and whatever, but it was new to him at that point for sure. So it was a pretty exciting time, metaphysically. It was a, you know, I was in shock, I'm sure, from the sudden, you know, I mean, you're here one minute and then you're gone with no warning. But yet I realized that I had been warned in a sense because I'd been nudged and guided. And and I had better skills and better tools to deal with his sudden death than anybody I knew. So it was really important to me to stay present and stay as clear-headed as I possibly could. I have a two-year-old daughter. Um... And so I wanted to be, you know, be there for her, but I also just wanted to make sure that, that I didn't miss anything. And, yeah. and so I was, you know, I was able to really actively participate every step along the way and, and be the observer and yet live it at the same time. So I would kind of go yeah. in and out of those, those two states.
2: Yeah, you make it very clear in your book that that it wasn't easy. This just made it easier. And, And you made a very good point. I know there are a lot of you listening who have had a loved one pass, and you haven't had these kind of experiences. And Sherry writes in her book, and I completely agree with this, I believe there's a period of time after crossing over to the next life that increased opportunities for communication exist. I've been careful not to expect such communication, yet to stay open to the experience if it arises. And... This is key. I mean, not all spirits are ready to communicate right away. Your husband was and, and left you such beautiful, beautiful signs that he was around. A lot of dream visits.
3: And I, my experiences with death, and I've you know lost several people now, um, is that there isn't always unfinished business. There isn't always a reason or a need to communicate. So each situation is so unique. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and, and just to trust that. And, you know, I, I didn't always have someone to talk to about these things, but I'm a very open person. And so I shared with everybody that I could. Well, by doing that, those people that were also having experiences would share with me. Um, another really profound one was my babysitter.
1: She,
3: and her husband was there with her. The phone rang. And when she picked up the telephone, she heard, his, she heard Jim's voice on the end, other end. And he said, thank, thank you for taking such good care of my little girl. Oh, man. And she was just blown away, you know. But she was a very spiritual person herself. And, and she, she didn't, nobody doubted the authenticity of the experiences that they had because they were so, they were so real. And some of them were subtle and some of them were real obvious. Um, so and, and, I had a. Go ahead. Well, I like what you wrote in the book, also that
2: these encounters, not just with you, but with the babysitter, with his fellow physicians, who he came went to in his in their dreams. You wrote these encounters served to help us process our relationships with him. I believe more importantly, they were his way of finishing his earth life. He seemed to be reassuring all of us that he had survived his transition.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. So, so, go ahead, Sherry.
3: No, I'm just going to say, even though you know, you can't change the adjustment to losing someone. Their physical presence is devastating, and especially when it's a husband or a child, I feel, um, because there's so much intertwined in your daily life. But knowing that they're okay is huge. I mean, to me, it, it it's just it, when you love someone that much, you just want to know they're okay. You know that you'll Absolutely. get through it somehow.
2: Absolutely. Now, we're going to have to go to a break in just a few seconds here. I hope you'll all come back because Sherry has two husbands on the other side. We're going to talk about how she dealt with that. But I just want to share the words of her minister at her husband's service. He said, those of you who do not believe in life after death have reason to grieve. Oh, I just got goosebumps. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: experience the difference unity online radio the voice of an awakening world as unity online radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world we depend on the generosity of listeners like you if you enjoy the programming Please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Confucius said that to be
1: wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. If we can let our past remain in the past, we are not compelled to endlessly reenact it. If we seek to understand the situations in the other person's life and put forth the effort to walk a mile in his shoes, we may be less quick to take offense at what
3: may be directed toward us. Understand that forgiving does not mean excusing, but dwelling on past slights or offenses can never help us grow. Unforgiveness always diminishes us. An African
0: proverb says, The one who forgives ends the quarrel you can be a powerful agent for healing. Let go of old hurts. Let the past be the past. Forgive. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
1: Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear the beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. The toll-free number is 1-800-NOW-PRAY.
0: Get ready to stretch your thinking and question your beliefs. Tune into Metaphysical Romp with Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Monday at 10 a.m. Central on Unity Online Radio. Paul, along with his co-hosts, Reverends Bill and Cher Holton, will challenge your thinking and inspire you to open your mind and look outside the box. Discover Unity's spiritual laws and take a deep dive into the world of metaphysics and apply life-changing concepts today. Tune in Mondays at 10 Central on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Oh,
2: boy, I'm I'm glad we're back because I have so much more I want to ask Sherry about. Sherry is my guest today. Sherry Smith, the author of Love is Always the Lesson. We've been talking about the passing of her first husband, James, and James did an amazing job of coming through from the other side to make sure that he let his family know that he was still there. Now, what was his belief in God, Sherry, before he passed?
3: Oh. Right, and this was probably the most profound thing for me, is that he came to me in a dream. It was the most profound visitation experience that I had with him. And he came to me, and um, he looked uh, very ethereal. I mean, there was like white light emanating around him, through him, and then we had this amazing embrace. And and, and he stood back, and he said, I I just, there was an urgency. I have to tell you, there is God. And God is love. Now, coming from him, that was very, very profound because of his skepticism about a higher, a higher being. And then he you know, he went on to tell me, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to love again and all of that. But the, the essence of the message was that there is God. And, yeah, that's
2: that's yeah. pretty cool. Oh, I got yeah, goosebumps. Very, Anybody
3: was... else have goosebumps while she's talking? It was very, wow. it was very cool.
2: So you you write in the book that you realized you were suffering from severe post traumatic stress and I I've, I've only recently begun to hear people talk about that 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 the death of a loved one is as traumatic as wartime action and and accidents right. that we have. So what
3: you dealt with that how? Well I think especially with a sudden death where you're thrown into shock um I mean with any any death is is Challenging and difficult, but with in my case, that I didn't experience that with other deaths I've been through because I had time to sort of process as I went through it, seeing it coming. But with the sudden death, it was it was like my I, I tried to go back to work and I couldn't work. It was like my brain just absolutely wouldn't function. I could function metaphysically and spiritually, and and I could get up and make breakfast. But I couldn't think. I couldn't use my left brain at all, and the words would just—I would try to look at a lab test that had come back, or, you know, I could talk to people, but I couldn't do the the hard science part of my job. And I could tell—it's just like it's too soon. I don't—I can't do this. I can't be of service to other people the way I used to be. So, um, I just get—I just decided to be kind to myself. And I always tell everyone that I know that it's grieving. It's just be kind to yourself, pamper yourself, listen to your needs. And so I I didn't go back, you know, I quit my job at that point and just focused on being there for my daughter. Um, but in terms of surviving grief, um, the, the number one way that I survived loss, any loss, is gratitude, is to just take stock of all of my blessings every day. And as soon as... I started going through that situation with James and his death. As I was living it, I was, there was another voice in me saying, oh, be grateful that this nurse was on duty and be grateful that these friends were there to help you and be grateful for. It's like the whole gratitude thing just started flooding through me, all these of awareness of everything I had to be grateful for and all the people that had been through similar situations without the support that I had, without all of these. Gifts, yes. and so gratitude is at the top of my list um and being aware of, of synchronicity, you know being a good receiver, letting people help you because I'm so used to being a giver I'm the one that's in charge i'm the one who runs the practice i'm the one that I'm always the one doing the giving and doing the organizing and making the decisions and and to heal from my grief, i couldn't be that person I needed to sit back and let other people take care of me for a period of time. So learning to be a good receiver and to ask for what I needed um, was really important. And journaling, it's the best therapist you can have. And therapy is great if you can, you know, find your way to a therapist. It's like all your issues are on the surface when you're grieving. But journaling is so powerful because it helps you move through it. And I say, hey, journal on a piece of toilet paper and flush it if you don't want to keep it. it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what you do with it what matters is that you empty it out of your head and and it will help you keep moving feel it, forward right? feel it and sit with it and honor your pain and and trust you know develop trust i'm still here so i must have more living to do i haven't fulfilled my purpose on the earth or i wouldn't be here i know a lot of people have survivor guilt why am I still here? And they're gone. And it's like, I feel like I'm still here. I still have a reason to be here. Now let's get on with figuring out what that is. So trusting, um, trusting life and the, and the uh, cycle of life, that life goes on. Whether you feel like going with it or not, it will pull you back eventually. And so those were the things that I focused on that, that were helpful to me. Um, and paying attention to my dreams and, you know, continuing on my spiritual path and um, all, all of that was, you know, I didn't feel alone. I, I know someone handed me one of those leaflets at the door from one of the churches and it said, you know, why did why did bad things happen to good people kind of a thing. And
0: mm-hmm. And
3: at the end of the pamphlet, it said, so you can help someone else someday. And it was like, I held on to that like like Dumbo with a magic feather it was like I'm going through this and I'm going to embrace this so I can help someone else someday and, and
2: you're doing that you're doing it's just beautiful I just want to plug your book again her book is called love is always the lesson which that title just grabbed me and let me tell you I know you're going to help far more than just one other person <laughs> Thank you. So let's we just I wish we had two hours to talk to you, but since we only have this one hour, let's move on because you did love again. Only this time, yeah. it was somebody very opposite from your first husband. Right.
3: So I, I basically surrendered my life um, to God and said, just give me you know someone to love. I I have all this love in me, and it needs and it needs a place to go. And Alicia, my my little girl at the time. She kept saying, I want a daddy, find me a daddy, I need a daddy, find me a daddy. And and she would <laughs> beg me for a daddy. And I'm like, well, I can't just go to the blue light special at Kmart and get you one. I mean, you know, when <laughs> it's time, it will happen. So anyway, I had surrendered my life and, and changed where I lived and gone back to be closer to my family of origin. And I just, the nudges, the synchronicity just got guided to a circumstance where I met this man who was totally different from anyone I'd ever known, and he was passionate about life, and he was fun, and he was a New Yorker and, you know, had grown up in a whole different environment than me. And so anyway, there were all of this magnetism present, and and I was ready. I thought I was ready to move on. Yeah, I, and, I have to tell you, Shari, I'm reading that part
2: in your book and the little red flags are going up and I'm saying, uh-oh, oh, I yeah. see where this one's going.
3: Exactly. Yeah. I, I was not ready emotional. I mean, I, how can I say this? I wouldn't recommend it. Let me say that. I would not recommend anyone follow the exact path that I followed. <laughs> but fortunately <laughs> for me, I have been guided and directed in, and shown how to use it for a higher purpose. And so this marriage turned out to be a very difficult, challenging marriage. And there was love, and and but he was borderline personality had borderline personality disorder, which I eventually discovered. And then he got cancer, and the cancer affected his personality in an, in a negative way. And so we, I lived through this very traumatic, off and on traumatic um, life with him for 18 years. And
2: but
0: but when, you know what
2: I love is that you didn't harp on woe is me in the book. You, you showed how you rose above that. Uh, it wasn't all easy, but uh, you went to Al-Anon and learned the tools there, and you share a lot of the tools that, from that and that you learned mm-hmm. yourself. I, one line that just cracked me up in the book, you said, I needed to resign as general manager of the universe.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's codependency at its best. And I was really fervently studying a course in miracles, and and I had a I was in the perfect life situation to apply the teachings that everything is love or cry for love. And I would look at conflict that way when some when when someone was acting out. And I you know I just tried to apply these principles, and I really immersed myself in meta in my metaphysical spiritual life. And, and Sheri, this my is salvation. this really
2: cracked me up. You, you guys listening will love this. She. Anybody that's on the spiritual path, you know how it uplifts you and and it transforms you. And in fact, do you remember what you wrote about the question that your husband, Bobby, came home? You were so happy once you started discovering God and love and and even Jesus in your life. Do you remember what he asked you?
3: Yeah. He said, are you having an affair? And I said, what? Why would you ask me that? And he said, because every time you come home from meditating with this friend, it's like you're in love. It's like you're, you know, and so I went on to explain to him how my energy was definitely higher and that I was in love with Christ. I mean, it was, you know, that kind of an experience, but he picked up on that energy and he was trying to logically figure out what it could possibly be because it was so dramatic. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, so, so, I, so he, he I need to, him, I, yeah. if
2: you will allow me, because this was really profound. As we're taught, you just mentioned meditation and how it changes your life. You did a little bit of a sidestep in the book. You, um, For those of you listening, Sherry, for a short time, ran met a metaphysical store of her own called Pathways with classes and books. I was so jealous, Sherry. It was like, I would be like having your own candy store. But would, oh, would you share with those who are listening the story about the young man who came into the store who didn't believe in yeah. God?
3: Yes. Yes. So this. So I had uh, the storefront was a bookstore, metaphysical slash holistic medicine, holistic health bookstore. But in the back room, we had classes and groups and and teachers and all kinds of things going on. So anyway, one and people would just wander in. They would just be led to me, and I was always curious about well, what now? What's going on here? So this young man comes in one day with backpack on, and it was a university town, so I figured he's a college student, but he wasn't. And he starts looking at the books and he goes, do you really believe all this crap? And I know right then, oh boy, he's wondered, he wants to debate the subject. And, and so he goes on to say that he doesn't believe in anything but himself and he's spewing all of this stuff about his ego and how he's not going to ever die and he's going to stay in this body forever and he doesn't believe in anything. And he was really angry and he had like a chip on both shoulders and I just could feel this inside of me like wanting to get out like like you got to say something and but it's got to be the right thing and so I just said a little prayer and I said God you know use me as your instrument whatever is I'm supposed to say to this young man use me nice. and so I said to him something to the effect of I would like to challenge you to uh, an experiment or however I said it, I said, would you be willing to just take five minutes a day and listen, just be still, and just listen to inside, to the voice of your own heart? And I said, and then maybe you'll discover for yourself whether God exists. And he kind of, in his, his arrogant way, he said, well, I'll take you up on that or something to that effect. And he disappeared, and I never saw him again for, I don't remember, a couple years or something. It had it had been a period of time. And I was facilitating a, a support group, and there was a knock on the door. And I went out, and there stands this same young man. And he looked very travel-weary, had the scruffy beard and all of that. And he said, could I speak to you, please, for a moment? And I said, certainly. So I went outside, and he said, I have been, I've hitchhiked all over the United States. And he said, I just want you to know that I took your challenge. I listened every day for, for a period of time, and he said, and I, I discovered that I discovered God, or God discovered me, or whatever, however he said it. He said, there is God, and I found that. And he said, and I came 100 miles out of my way to tell you thank you. He said, because had you not taken the time to challenge me, he said, it would have, I don't believe it would have ever happened. And he said, my life will never be the same. And I found peace. And I was like, I will never forget that encounter because that was not me. I was just i, I was that. just the instrument.
2: I love it. So, and I that. love how you stopped. You, you wanted to say just the right thing. And everybody that's listening, this is how it works. You know, at our level, we may not know the right thing. But but Sherry just, she, she shifted above and asked to be given the right words. And, boy, that transformed him. You wrote in a book, When Your Motive is Love... You create fertile soil for miracles. Do what you can and get out of the way. Let God do the rest. A spiritual awakening is a wonder to behold.
3: Yeah. It's true. And even the word ego, easing God out. I mean, part of the whole process, and I think this is really critical, is, is people will say, well, how do you have these experiences? How do you hear and get this guidance and stuff? And it's like, the first thing I had to do was my ego work and i And I did that through twelve step work and through uh, looking at dysfunctional families, and you know, I spent several years doing my own personality work and healing my healing my childhood, healing my past, and getting very familiar with what part of me was ego and what wasn't and Of course, the miracles is good at at helping you discern the difference between those voices. But doing that work and then journaling, when I started doing becoming a more serious meditator. I think I I had cleared out a lot of the junk that was in my psyche. And so I was able, when the situation presented, when the situations arose, I was able to hear the higher guidance and hear the messages from loved ones. Um, Love was the connection, no doubt. I mean, I'm not a professional medium or anything like that. It was just how it's manifested in my personal life.
2: But then you really had to put it to the test because now you've had this difficult relationship with your second husband, Bobby, and he became ill with cancer and became, you wrote down, a totally crazed man mentally. Mm -hmm. And you write, what Mm -hmm. do you do with a sick and suffering soul? What did you do?
3: (laughs) You love more. That's what I did. I mean, I don't know what other people, I know everybody would handle those kinds of situations differently. Um, and i don 't even know what advice I would give to someone else, but I know what I did and what the payoff was and I stayed, and I stayed until you know the end and then um the interesting part about it was that there was peace at the end for him, and he came to me, he started coming to me over a course of the you know there were several times that he came to me, and the messages that came through were. Profound, and this, and he showed this profound um, understanding of his life, and of where he'd gone wrong, and what was important. And it was, it was almost like he did a life review with me, in a sense, and what the meaning of our relationship was, and how we we evolved spiritually through a, a kind of through the path of conflict, in a way. That there's you know, that there's other ways things are just not what they appear to be on the earth. That'll that the higher the higher meaning can look so different. And I learned a lot from Carolyn Mason in, in her writings about sacred contracts and things like that, that a lot of times the most important part of our spiritual journey is the harder the hardest part. Well, you it's said that most- a friend of yours said
2: you must be in this relationship with him to learn endurance. And I think that was beautiful because it showed you that this was this chapter of your life. You saw it then as an opportunity to develop more spiritual qualities.
3: Mm-hmm. I did. I really did. Because I, I, I could have left at any point. I was perfectly capable. I have two legs. I'm, I, I have so I have enough will and everything else to walk out of a difficult situation. But I just the voices were the the nudging and the inner voice was, you get to choose. But my sense of it, but that it's okay to stay and finish this. And I didn't want to do it in another life.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is really important because I'm certainly not advocating <laughs> that anybody who's listening stay in an abusive relationship. No. Not at all.
3: And nor am but I. The, nor this am is I.
2: your story and you were really tuned in spiritually and this was a choice that you made. So
3: Exactly. It was a choice. And when I, I went to see a therapist I that I had seen over the years with him and he said, I said, what about my kids? Will, will they be okay now? We know we've gone through this really dysfunctional cycle. And he said, you're gonna, they're going to be fine. And he said, because they're, as dysfunctional as your life was with them, there was always love and there was always forgiveness. Hmm. And he said, you know, not every dysfunctional situation has that. And he said, but because both qualities were present, you're going to be fine. And and um, there and there was I,
2: humor too. I was reading the book and I laughed out loud and read it aloud to Ty. I said, "Look, I said she was in this dysfunctional relationship and and two days before his last hospitalization, your husband looked at you and said, I wish we hadn't fought so much. If only you'd been different."
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. I laughed harder than I've probably ever laughed in my whole life. I mean, classic projection. Oh my gosh. But that but you beautiful. were able to to
2: you say you're not a medium, but a medium is anybody who can can get clear messages from someone on the other side, and you were clearly yeah. channeling him afterwards. Yes,
3: I uh, yeah, I clearly clearly did, and I know my own my I know my own mind, and I know my own thoughts and my writing style, and um, and I know his, and I knew his, and and he definitely. Brought through some very beautiful poetic messages and deep meaning, and um, and he used to write when he was alive. He, especially when we were first together, he wrote some pretty amazing poetry. And right when we were close to his death, I said, "Why don't you write me some poems before you die?" And he said, "I'll write to you from the other side." Hmm. And I said, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that." And he and he did, he did. And the way that happened is I. I've had other people who've been able to do this as well. Is he? Is I sat down one day, I was feeling very emotional, and I wrote a letter to him as a way to process my grief. And when I finished the letter, I could feel him in the room, and I could feel these words coming into my mind. So I took the pen and I started just writing what came to me. And I didn't know what I wrote until I was finished. Um, and that's how it started. And then day after day, I would wake up with. Italian love songs playing in my head and, and a message from him. And this went on for several days. And um, one day I was vacuuming, doing a real mundane thing, and, I, and all of a sudden in my mind it's like, your love was like one of your massages. And I'm like, going, what? Your love was like one of your massages. And it just kept repeating. And so I went and got a pen, sat down, and wrote, and it was a whole poem. Uh, it was just a, a love poem based on yeah. that. So that was pretty cool. But it's I had learned cool. how to set my ego aside and be in a total state of receptive listening to be able to get those messages. I, In, in a sense, I had practiced. Um, of course, you've you had
2: years of practice. And right. your sister, though, she had a clear communication from him. So oh, yeah. Be, yeah, beyond just you receiving messages, why don't you share that one? Um,
3: she got the first message from, from Bobby. And um, she was sitting at her computer, and the lamp next to her started going on and off and on and off. And this happened several times. And then she, the computer screen went blank. And then all of these words, you know, random words, how that used to happen all the time on a computer. And then mm-hmm. just the word Phoenix was flashing up in the corner. And she got these words, this message imprinted in her mind, tell Sherry, tell Sherry to remember the Phoenix. And that didn't mean anything to her. And she called me and she was pretty rattled by the whole experience. And I said, well, it means perfect sense to me because we used to say, I used to say over and over again, our relationship is like the mythical phoenix. It just keeps Uh rising from the ashes. So it meant a lot to me. And then from that point forward, you know. And and for me, these communications—they haven't gone on and on and on. I mean, they come. They my loved ones come to me in dreams, and I have the occasional encounter. Um, but but these were like shortly after the passing, that that this came. All of this information came through. And I and I yes. I think what he I think what he communicated is worth worth reading for. You know, especially knowing how difficult our relationship was, makes the communication make that much more sense. So, yeah, that was pretty pretty exciting stuff. And you know, Bobby was
2: the last one that I would have thought was tuned in, but somehow, I know, knowing how the web of interconnection works, he did tap into something because he made a little prophetic statement about your life after he passed.
3: Oh yeah, that was great too. Yeah, he's laying on his literally on his deathbed a few a, within the week before he passed. And he said, he looked at me, and he said, I'm not worried about you, Sherry. He said, it won't be long. You'll have a new husband, a motorhome, a a new husband, and a dog. And I thought, (laughs) what? We don't have a dog, and and we've never camped. And, I mean, he and I had never camped. And, you know, I said, well, and I'm exhausted at this point. The thought of ever being married again is more than I can handle. And I said, well, honey, you'll have to send me someone because that's the last thing on my mind. Well, and in the story I tell in the book, I tell the story about meeting my current husband, which was all divinely guided, and he worked for a large company that converts buses into motorhomes, <laughs> and he's a dog lover, a total dog lover, and one day, you know, a, 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 six months later, or, no, it was a year later, I'm riding down the freeway, uh, sit in a motorhome with my dog on my lap and, I, and my new husband. And I go, oh, my God, how did he know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And you said you did have a fantasy. It would be nice to have one soulmate relationship, which did not involve so many lessons. I think you're
3: finally at that stage, aren't you? I feel like I'm finally, I have a wonderful husband and a tremendous marriage. And um, yeah. I am blessed beyond belief. And why would anybody even want three husbands? I don't know, but it seems to be my path.
2: <laughs> well, relationships are how we learn. And, and you've done just a beautiful job in your book. Love is always the lesson to, to share the, not only the lessons you learned through their living, but the lessons you learned through their passing. And if you were to summarize that with just a few seconds to go here, what is the greatest lesson you
3: learned? Um, love. Love more and trust. You know, eventually when the time is right, all will be revealed what the meaning is. And, and I don't think our lives always are clear to us as we're living them. Maybe we just have to keep examining our motives and, um, and watch for, the, watch for the, the signs along the way, the synchronicities and the guidance. And, and keep, just keep moving forward one foot in front of the other and not be afraid of difficult circumstances because the greatest treasures lie in the challenges. But Thank you so much, Sherry. Great guest. Thank you, Suzanne. Love your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience.